point about the scale-up agenda is that we're not capping out and these companies are not locating elsewhere to the likes of uh, America. It's not good enough for us to just rely on the crutch of immigration in, in the long term because we want to be able to ensure that we can feed that industry from, from the UK. And we're never going to be able to right that wrong, but it is important that we, we give justice to those who were impacted, compensation and support. From the first-time founders to the funds that back them, innovation needs different. Our episode partner, HSBC Innovation Banking, is proud to accelerate growth for tech and life science businesses, creating meaningful connections and opening up a world of opportunity for entrepreneurs and investors alike. Discover more at www.hsbcinnovationbanking.com en-gb. Hello and welcome to the UKTM podcast, a weekly chat with the movers and shakers of the UK tech industry and the destination for all things UK tech related. And this week, for the first episode of our new season, I'm delighted to say I'm joined by the Secretary of State for Science, Innovation and Technology, Michelle Donnellan. Welcome, Michelle. Thank you for having me. Really excited to be here today. So we're doing this interview off the back of a speech you made about tech scale-ups in the UK and wanting to make the UK a tech scale-up powerhouse by 2030. So briefly talk us through how you see that happening. Yeah, so we've got a really good story to tell in terms of what we've done as a government over the last 14 years now, since 2010. If we look back at 2010, coming up that financial crisis, we were finding it hard to get uh, venture capital funding and investment into our tech and, and science sector. And now we look at where we are today. We've got 15 times more unicorns. We've got far more investment flowing into our tech sector than the rest of Europe. In fact, as a whole, we've got one of only three tech economies in the world that is rated at over a trillion dollars. But we need to go further and we need to be ambitious. We need to back British business and continue with the plan that's been working, but double down on it. Because I, I strongly believe we have all the right ingredients here in the UK but we need to continue to support industry. And what I've been doing in my department is listening to the entrepreneurs, to the investors, to the regulators, to try and better understand what exactly will shift the dial here. And we have a science and technology framework, which is the, the blueprint for how we're going to become a science and technology superpower. But I think there are three key things that industry have certainly said to me will make a difference. And I believe are the areas that we need to focus. And I set out yesterday very strongly one of them. And one of them is scale up. The other two are skills, the skills pipeline. And the second one is, is regulation and making sure that our, our regulatory environment actually boosts innovation. And of course, they all intertwine. And what I was talking about yesterday is how can we actually support industry now to continue to scale up so that we can keep those jobs in the UK, we can add to our economic growth, one of the prime minister's five priorities, and, and that will ultimately boost living standards and productivity. Now, one of the things that you promised was a scale up forum. So what's that forum going to do and who will be on it? Yeah, it's a really good question. See, one of the things I didn't want to do was just impose another body on the sector. There's lots of great work and initiatives when it comes to scale up across the board. And we didn't want to duplicate and replicate what was already happening that wouldn't add value. I think what the government can do to add value here is really use our power of convening by bringing together all those different individuals and, and pieces of work so we can be much more strategic and focused. 
And rather than say, it's going to be chaired by X and here's the full cast list, I actually want to take people with me on this journey. I want to make sure that we're getting the right people on that. So we'll be, we'll be drawing up in conjunction with industry the criteria that we'll be looking at. But we'll also be inviting people to come forward with suggested names so that we can really ensure that this is a, a forum that does add value. And it, I've made the pleasure that it will include the whole ecosystem. So we'll have people that are entrepreneurs and innovators. We'll have people that have successfully scaled up already, people from startups, people from regulators as well, because we need to be looking at the, the sort of 360 picture here to really layer up on the existing work that we've already done. And you also talk about the choosing of 20 of the most promising businesses to concentrate help on. How are, we, are you going to choose those 20 businesses? Yeah, that sounds like a, a very big challenge, but one that we're certainly up to. It is a pilot, so hopefully, you know, if this is successful we can, and, and it works, we, in future years, can expand it beyond 20. But we, don't, we want to be quite targeted so that we can really see results. Again, we'll be setting out the exact criteria and how we're going to identify those businesses in, in the coming weeks. Sorry, you talk about helping businesses understand the regulatory hurdles, but shouldn't it really be about just removing the hurdles to make it easier for these scale-ups? I think we need to change the narrative when it comes to regulation. My mantra is regulate to innovate. Now, when I speak to businesses, actually regulation isn't necessarily a, a bad thing. You, you have to have some regulation and, and being really clear on what that regulation is and, uh, and how that works in your particular sector provides businesses with the clarity and the certainty that they need to be able to make those long-term decisions, including investment, and have the confidence to be able to grow here in the UK because they know the direction of travel. Where possible, we should absolutely be light touch in our regulation. It should be simple, it should be easy to understand, and and that's why my department has led on the creation of, of, of so many sandboxes. And it's why we've taken such an innovative approach to regulation in the emerging technology that is AI. And one of the things that I did announce, you're quite right, yesterday was this support service so that we can help people to understand exactly what uh, what regulations are in existence and how they can operate and how they can get the best within that current regulatory framework. Does that mean that we're, we're not challenging ourselves on in terms of the existing regulatory framework? Absolutely not. I see, I see both needed. Actually, regulation didn't come up when UKTN did a take on this speech and we had responses to that speech. But what did come up, and I'd like to talk you through a few of them, were some different priorities for government. And these include greater collaboration with Europe rather than competing against it, removal of barriers to sales into Europe, easing immigration and working visa rules, and reducing tax on early stage companies. Any of those resonate with you? Yeah, let's pick a few of them. So on collaboration with Europe, let's not forget that just a few months ago, I, I announced that we had brokered a deal to rejoin Horizon, but with a better deal than we had before, one that protected not just the interests of our, our scientists and our academics and businesses, but also the interests of our taxpayers too. And we got that bespoke deal by believing in Britain and, and going out and trying to carve out that deal that would actually work for our nation. And, and that now allows us access to the biggest research and, uh, and development collaboration in the world, not just in, in Europe. So certainly we are not being narrow-minded or trying to be just focused on, on the UK here. We're global in outlook. That's why we held the Global uh, Safety Summit on AI just uh, a few months ago. But I'm not going to apologise for wanting to back British business or to grow the number of jobs here so that uh, people can have better opportunities, which I think is 
is certainly at the heart of, of, of my department's mission, not just for people today, but also the jobs of tomorrow for our children and our grandchildren. That's why we need to be investing in the technologies that are going to completely change the labour market needs and why we need to be working very closely with the, the department for education on, on skills. And we already, as we said before, have you know, one of only three economies in the world that are valued at over a trillion dollars when it comes to our tech sector. And that is far uh, outpacing Europe. And I think that we should, we should celebrate that, but not rest on our laurels, because we want to continue to push ahead and, and drive more of those jobs here and, and get those companies to be able to, to scale up. But access to the European market, as well as the global market at large, is, is incredibly important and is at the heart of the work that my, my colleague is doing in the Department for, for Trade and Business. When it comes to tax and supporting businesses, we have pursued really generous R&D tax credits. We're going to be investing more in R&D than any government in history. By this year, in fact, actually, £20 billion, so a sizable amount. We've also been, been supporting business in other ways, including regulation, etc., to cut the cost that business is facing. So take, for one example, work that my department's doing with the data bill that we're pushing through Parliament. Now, that's not about saying, let's completely throw in the bin everything that the EU have ever said on GDPR. It's about saying, let's take the good bits of GDPR and the, the foundations of it, but let's make it more bespoke for our country and move away from this one-size-fits-all system, which will actually save British business in aggregate millions of pounds. And that's, a, that's another way that we're trying to be on the side of British business and deliver for British business. And that was, to the best of my knowledge, the first bill that has ever been co-produced with business and, and co-authored in relation to, to that respect. There's a lot of talk about visas, though. I mentioned visas as one of the questions that the readers are... Sorry, I left that one. No, no, because I I wanted to drill down a little bit more into that. We had an opinion piece go out on UKTN in December, which laid out the fact that actually often it seems like the government's immigration policy is at odds with its promise that the best and the brightest of tech talent is welcome. Things like raising the minimum salary threshold for skilled workers... The scale-up visa application being described as needlessly complicated. I mean, what is the take-up, for example, of that scale-up visa? I can get you uh, the figures on that. I think the fact that we've introduced a new and innovative opportunity for people to come in that has opened up uh, and is solely focused on scale-up does highlight the importance that we place on, on this agenda and enabling British business to grow. Our, our policy on immigration is, is, is simple, really, and is, is in tune with uh, what I'm hearing on the doorstep in my constituency. You know, people want a system that is fair, one that doesn't allow individuals to exploit the system and try and cheat the system. Why it's, so that's why it's incredibly important that we're tackling illegal immigration. And then when it comes to legal immigration, We should be using immigration to be able to enable business to fill some of those skills gaps that we need so that we can continue to grow and and, and develop. But at the same time, we should be growing our own homegrown talent. It's not good enough for us to just rely on the crutch of immigration in, in the long term, because we want to be able to ensure that we can feed that industry from, from the UK. Otherwise, it, it will it will move. It will go to other nations where they have those domestic labour markets with those skills. That's why we've got a, a, such a focus on our education system at every level. It's why we've also um, tried to broker a better relationship between industry and education. So I'm thinking of things like the T-levels, where there's such a big industry placement aspect, why we've had such a concerted effort on apprenticeships over the last decade. And we've really removed any of the stigma up the quality 
expanded the reach, introduced the apprenticeship levy. It's why we're also introducing LLE in 2025, which will enable people to do bite-sized studies. It's why we've got things like boot camps. So really trying to, to grow our own talent as well as enabling the use of immigration to fill some of those gaps because it is this government that has introduced basically a points-based system in essence. HSBC Innovation Banking, our partner for this episode, provides commercial banking services, expertise and insights to the technology, life science and healthcare, private equity and venture capital industries. To find out why innovation needs different, go to www.hsbcinnovationbanking.com slash en gb. But, but in the in the light of new technologies like quantum and AI, we are going to need to get global talent uh, dealing with these problems. One of the other things that was brought up in that opinion piece was that there was long wait times for the global talent piece. I mean, surely that needs to be, this system needs to be made easy, doesn't it? If businesses are calling for more skilled workers from around the world, then surely a key thing for government to do is to make that process as simple and quick as possible. So uh, nobody's denying that we need to be tapping into global talent as well. And you do that by having world-class infrastructure, world-class research projects. We have four of the top 10 universities out of the world here. Uh, and so we have a real good sales pitch as to why you should come and locate and work and live in, in Britain. And when I do visits up and down the country, you know, people, I, I meet many researchers and academics from across the globe. And they tell me that they were attracted to the UK because we're leading the way, whether that is research into our, our missions around dementia and uh, or cancer, or whether that is the work that we're doing in industry and the support that we're doing giving industry with research and, and development and the amount of money that we're pouring into that. We, of course, at the same time, there's a balancing act here and we have to be pragmatic and have a common sense approach. We can't make our immigration processes too simple because they have to be fair and robust. And that takes me back to the point that I mentioned at the beginning, that we need an immigration process that can't be cheated, that does support our economic needs and that is fair to our domestic workforce. And, and that's certainly what we've been trying to, to pursue. But all of these things, we're listening. We're absolutely listening. And my my whole approach to government and being a minister, I hope, has been shown by the speech I did yesterday as well, is one of engaging with industry. And I'm really trying to bring industry on board and the sectors I represent and get them to have their say in policy development. And that's why so many of the announcements I made yesterday were not things that I suddenly woke up one morning and thought, well, that's that's a good idea. It was actually ideas that have been pitched to me by experts on the ground. And in relation to immigration, I will keep listening. I'll keep referring that back to our Home Office ministers as well as we shape and iterate our policies and approaches. Now, perhaps one of the most ambitious targets in your speech was to make the UK home to half of all European tech unicorns. Obviously, a tech unicorn is a company worth a billion dollars or more. But some people are saying whether that's actually the right metrics, because values can go up and down. We've seen some unicorns going bust or selling their assets cheaply. They do make the headlines. But actually, wouldn't it be better to have more scale-ups with lower valuations that are sustainable businesses rather than aim for these this, these unicorns themselves? I do think it's either or. 
But I do think that we should be aspirational as well and we should be pushing to go further. And we need to make sure that obviously the, the whole point about the scale up agenda is that we're not capping out and these companies are not locating elsewhere to the likes of uh, America. So we want to be ambitious. That's the very nature of this. We want to get these big companies to continue to grow uh, and to locate in the UK. Does that mean that we don't want the tier below? Absolutely not. The, the two are not mutually exclusive. We need investment to be flowing throughout the entire tech ecosystem and, and, and science ecosystem. Now, I want to talk a little bit about regional tech. You you big this up in your speech, talking about how cities like Sheffield and Birmingham are seeing massive increases in the number of tech businesses. Obviously, this is a huge part of the government's agenda, but at the same time, and the government cancelled the northwest leg of HS2, which was widely seen as, as a bit of a blow to your levelling up agenda. Yeah, I'm not sure that's the correct uh, characterization at all, in fact, because what we did on that was, again, listen to, to what um, the vast majority of people wanted. And they wanted connectivity now, not um, in years and years and years to come, because it was impacting them now in terms of their ability to, to get to work, etc., um, or to, to do business. And what we have replaced it with is we've not taken that money and saved it or put it into something totally different. We've put it into uh, Project North so that we can actually get that connectivity into the areas that people had been complaining about up and down the country uh, and make sure that the routes are in place and that we're connecting across the country, not just down one line. I think it it is the right thing for a government to do, to be continually reviewing very large, expensive projects. Because at the end of the day, this is not government's money, this is taxpayers' money. And it is really important that we're always getting value for money on every pound spent and that it is going to deliver in terms of economic output and that we are reviewing it in the context of of changing work patterns and dynamics. And of course, since all of that original project had been put in in place, we had COVID, which dramatically changed the way we we all work and live. And when it comes to the levelling up agenda, we are absolutely 110%, if you like, committed still to that agenda. My government is represented by the party of uh, of what I call opportunity uh, and aspiration. And that's at the heart of levelling up, allowing people across the board, no matter what postcode you're born in, to have those opportunities to go on and achieve. And as the Secretary of State for well, the the most exciting agenda that we're, we're facing, I would argue, in, in science, innovation and technology, I want those opportunities to be available in those jobs, those jobs of today and tomorrow across the board and across the nation. And the stats that I used yesterday really are quite astonishing, actually. VC investment in Sheffield has grown by nearly 600% and Birmingham over 1,000%. And I think when we talk about tech and science, sometimes people can assume it's all just going to benefit London and the southeast. And actually, it, that, that isn't true. Now, you said earlier you were in listening mode. The UK Tech Cluster Group, which is an organisation representing tech hubs from every nation and region, has suggested four big ideas to help embrace a more regional approach to tech policy. Tax credits, changes to apprenticeships are amongst their suggestions. I just wanted if you'd read the report and had any a chance to consider any of its recommendations. Yeah, so I am supported by uh, an excellent minister called Minister Batty, the Minister for Tech, and I believe he was at the report launch just the other day on that. And we are currently going through that report. And we've committed to come back after we've given it the, the proper consideration that it, it deserves. But the overall objectives of trying to get 
more funding across the nation, supporting opportunities across the board in the um, sectors that we represent, we completely agree. Now, I couldn't possibly do this interview without reference to the post office scandal. In your speech, you started by referring to trusted partners of government. Is Fujitsu still a trusted partner of government? Well, we have that inquiry ongoing at the moment. And what we um, need to do is, is wait for the inquiry to conclude. And that will give us some of the answers that we don't necessarily have at the moment as to culpability and exactly what happened when and who knew what happened when. And then action may well be taken against different bodies or organisations or individuals. But I really don't want to be premature in my response or prejudice that inquiry. But what I would like to say you know, when we're talking about this is uh, I share all of the, the horror and the sadness that has been displayed by the British public. It really has captivated the British public more than any other kind of topic of this nature, I would say, than all the nine years I've been a Member of Parliament. And I, I think that is basically because it has been such a grotesque miscarriage of justice, one that has devastated not just the individuals impacted, but their families and their friends. And that's why it's really important that we, you know, we're never going to be able to right that wrong, but it is important that we, we give justice to those who were impacted, compensation and support. But is it fair that a company who had a legal ruling on its horizon system in 2019 is still winning government contracts over 100 worth billions? Surely that needs to be reviewed in the light of recent events. Well, any uh, procurement decisions are taken in line with our our procurement strict rules and and legislation in this country and, um, and thorough due diligence will be done on that. We do need to wait for that inquiry to conclude. Will there be lessons learned from that? Absolutely. And that won't just be for industry, that will be for for government. And we'll be taking those forward uh, across the board. And I'm responsible, obviously, in my sector for for, for AI, which is an area, again, that presents massive, phenomenal opportunities, some that we're already seeing in the lights of our, our NHS, but also big risks too around loss of control or societal risk that we talk about already. And, and that's why we've got ahead of this agenda. We convened the world, in fact, uh, back in uh, November for the first ever Global Safety Summit and managed to secure that landmark agreement around pre-deployment testing of models. So it's not that we are not recognising the dangers that technology can present. In fact, we are we're trying to get on the front foot of that and really have a better handle on the risks, but also make sure that we've got the, the correct approach, not just domestically, but internationally. And on that, anybody familiar with Little Britain will know the, uh, the comedy sketch Computer says no. (laughs) And there's questions now about whether we need some urgent reform of legislation that puts computers above the law. And you mentioned AI. We're in the age of AI where machines are making more and more decisions, but we know they don't always get things right. Would you call for that that legislation that, that basically says we have to just trust blindly what computers are saying to be urgently reviewed? So, so what we have uh, have said when it comes to potential legislation on AI is that first of all, we need to properly understand the risks. And this is the fastest emerging technology that we've seen. And if you speak to the, the developers, you know, they will tell you that they don't know yet that how AI will, will pan out in terms of capability over the next few years. And there's, there's stark differences uh, in opinion. So what we've done is set up a number of processes to make sure that we can stay on top of those risks. Firstly, We uh, created a a task force that now has become and morphed into the world's first ever institute that is looking at the risk, but will also be doing that pre-deployment testing. And we've also got some international processes like the State of Science report that was one of the outcomes of our, uh, our summit back in November. 
One of the things that we've done domestically is publish a white paper. And we're going to be coming back to that imminently with our response. And we have lots of regulators, lots of regulation in this space, which I think sometimes overlooked in the narrative. But what we've said is we need them all to be working to the same principles, because obviously when they were set up, AI didn't exist, quite frankly. And the principles that we've laid out are things like safety and transparency and fairness and accountability. And we've made considerable progress on that already. And we'll be coming back to that white paper imminently with more information. But I would caution against people who say, let's just go and legislate because we need to make sure that legislation is not out of date by the time it gets through. And we needed to take action now. If we'd have just proceeded with a a legislation approach months ago, that bill would still be going through. It takes on average about a year within the UK to legislate. The next set of models is coming out within a few months. And the actions that we've taken means that we can be responsive, we can be proportionate, we can back British industry, we can back innovation. So we get the benefits in our public services and and throughout our economy, but in a safe way. Now, in your speech to party conference in October, you talked about wokeism in science and technology. Can you explain what you mean by that and why it's a problem? Yeah, I think it means different things to different people. But to me, what it means is it's the stifling of, of, of free speech with almost the emphasis on one viewpoint being the sole and only truthful narrative to the point that then that stifles out people's opinions and ability to challenge. We saw that in our universities. That's why I led on the free speech bill so that we could enable the future generation to be able to challenge and, and challenge the status quo. And we have been seeing in our, our research community, scientists representing, to me, concerns that they aren't necessarily able to explore certain topics because they feel that certain ideologies are being imposed upon them or certain views are being imposed upon them. And when it comes to science, I think we should be evidence-based. I think we should be enabling individuals to be able to address whatever research topic they, they are doing in the knowledge that they are, are free to do so. And the particular aspect of the announcement that I made at conference was one in conjunction with the Cabinet Office, where we have set up an independent review by an academic, not by the government, Vesa Alice Sullivan, to look at the very topic of sex and how sex and gender can be conflated and to be able to provide some guidelines to assist academics. And that won't be guidelines that are authored by the government. Again, these will be guidelines that are authored by an academic through that process and engaging with different academics and viewpoints. And we've seen problems happening in our public sector offices, etc. So it, one of the examples I cited at the time was around the national census. Now, this was even progressed to the High Court, I believe it was, because guidance was published at the same time as the census, which said, basically implied or or said that you could change your biological sex. Now, we know that that isn't true. You you can't change your biological sex. You can change your gender. And it's important that we are, are, are clear and we all understand our use of words, our terminology and our approaches. And so what we're trying to do is listen to something that has been raised to us by the academic community. Some of them, you know, afraid to, to, to speak out on this, but not just the academic community, um, communities uh, at large. As I said, this isn't just about the academic community, it's about public sector bodies as well. There's lots more we could say specifically on that, but uh, we are running out of time. And I did want to ask one final question. You said in your speech that your father's own business struggled under the weight of short-term thinking in Westminster, and yet we're due an election this year. We've got five pieces of legislation with implications for UK tech going through Parliament, Digital Markets Bill, Automated Vehicles Bill, 
just to name a couple of them. What's going to be your priorities to pass before an election? And so my department is leading on the, well, we, we co-lead with the Department for Business and Trade on the Digital Markets Bill. And, and we're also leading on, on the data bill. So in pieces of legislation for my department, they're our priority. We've already got that online safety act through and, and that's got royal assent. But legislation is not the, the limit or the extent of our work. And the initiatives that I announced yesterday in my scale-up speech didn't require legislation. They required us to use our ability as a, as a convening power, to use our expertise in this department, many of which are from industry themselves. That's something that I made sure that we were doing when I came to post by introducing secondment schemes, etc. So I would just caution against assuming that legislation is always the answer. Yes, one of the key remits of government is to legislate. I completely agree. But we can do much more than just legislate. And I think my department has demonstrated that in the mere year it's been in existence. And that's all we've got time for. Sorry that we didn't have long to talk because that was a fascinating discussion. Thank you, Michelle. Thank you. Loved being on. Look forward to coming again. And thank you, everybody who's listening. Let me know your thoughts about the interview on social media. We will be back with another episode next week. But in the meantime, you can keep up to date with all the latest UK tech developments at www.uktech.news. Don't forget to follow UKTN on LinkedIn and X, where you can get in touch with me with your comments and suggestions about the show. Until next time, goodbye from me. This podcast is brought to you by HSBC Innovation Banking, the power behind the UK's forward thinkers, future makers and leap takers. They're helping to ignite the bold ideas that reshape our world. Go to www.hsbcinnovationbanking.com slash en gb to find out how innovation needs different. Thank you.